0: Good morning, Oasis Church. How are you today? (laughs) Awesome. Well, it's a good day to be in church. Hey, every Sunday is a good day to be in church. There's so much to love about being in church. Um, We've got an exciting week ahead. We've got a few babies due to be born here at Oasis Church. We've got Michaelia and Betty. They're sitting next to each other. They're encouraging each other. Keep going, you can do it. One more week. Is it one more week? One more week. Come on and we've got Elise Farina who's been having contractions a few weeks too early as well. So all these babies coming, so exciting. We love it here. Just wanted to do a quick shout out this morning um, to our amazing Pastor Kate who's not here because she's always serving out in Kids Church but She's this incredible woman and I just want to tell you what she's been up to because it's so encouraging. Since we've brought her on staff and we've been able to pay her, um, she is now um, an ACC kids pastor mentor. So that means that she actually mentors uh, other kids pastors from ACC churches now to encourage them in their kids programs. She's also now a leader with a youth care program called Treasure Hunters. Now what that means is that she goes around to our local primary schools and leads them in this program called Treasure Hunters which is all about God. So I just want to say she's an amazing woman and your tithes make a difference. So, when you tie, that means we can pay people to scatter seed more broadly and more largely than you would ever be able to do yourself. Is that not incredible? come on. So your ties are making a difference so that people like Pastor Kate who have a unique gift and a unique passion for children can go out and make a difference. So if you see her this morning will you champion her and tell her what a phenomenal job she's doing. Her kids have had hand foot and mouth virus last week while Adrian's been away for work. Ovaries. So you know she's doing amazing things in the midst of A fairly complicated life. Can I hear an amen? Sounds like all of our story. We're all doing amazing things in the midst of a very complicated life. But I'm going to wrap up today our series, God the Father. Who's been enjoying this series? Come on, we're being a little bit interactive, Oasis Church. Great, it helps. It helps me. I sang to our team the other night. We had a platform ministry night um, where we did some coaching in platform ministry, and I said, You can never look at people's faces. And assume that they're enjoying or not enjoying what you're doing. If you could see your own faces, you, you would laugh um, from what we see up here because we're like, are they enjoying it? Are they leaning in? You just don't know because you're like... <laughs> so interaction helps me, all right? Okay, I've um, been loving this God the Father um, series and this is the second message that I've got to preach in this series. And I don't know, but when you prepare a message... God does this work in you first and you go through this journey with God as you're preparing to impart to people. This is not just words, this is anointing, this is impartation. And I actually feel a little bit wrecked by this message. I don't know, it just did something for me. It, it crushed me in a fresh new way and I'm, I'm hoping that, that you get something out of this morning. So we're wrapping up with God the Father and God is love. So this week is about God is love. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 4.8 that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Um, a long time ago now, uh, let's see, gosh I should have actually thought about how many years ago it was. I'm going to say, well my son's nearly 13 so I want to say 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago. Um, we had Amelia and we had Jack and then I fell pregnant again with another little person and um, We got to about 13 weeks and we went in to see the obstetrician and to have our initial scan the first scan we see this little bundle kicking around and We went in and we had the scan We're excited. We're gonna have three kids really close together, which was daunting and exciting but we saw the scan, the scan came up, this little image and and this little person was perfect but not moving and I remember Yui in that moment, Yui was like look at that little person, that's incredible, that's amazing but instantly I knew something's not right here because normally they're jumping around like a little bean and they're having a party in there and I could see the obstetrician's face kind of fell a little bit and um I said to him, why is the baby not moving? What's going on here? And he said, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I think what we need to do is go for another scan. But I, had, I knew that our baby had died just very recently. And so we had this period of 24 hours where he didn't say that your baby had died. He just said, we're going to get you in for a scan tomorrow And just see what they say there. So we had 24 hours. In that 24 hours, I cried out to God like I've never cried out to God before. I wept and I sobbed. We got pastors and friends around us to pray and believe that God might do the miraculous. That God might breathe life into my womb again. That we could have this little person that we'd so wanted and so expected And was so looking forward to. We went for the scan the next day and, no, the baby had died. And it was evident that at that point there was going to be no resurrection life for us. And so it was a very tense time. The baby didn't come on its own so we had to go and have surgical intervention. And the very next day I had to be um, a, a maid of honour in my sister-in-law's wedding now, now I never knew what it might be like to lose a child even such a young child you know we don't often talk about the pain of miscarriage but for me it was an incredibly painful experience and I was in the depths of despair for a number of months following that trying to reconcile how God can be love this is what I mean this message wrecked me Because I think we read in the Bible that God is love and we sing songs, yes Jesus loves me and we've encountered God and we've felt his love. So we know that he has the potential to love but we often stumble over his love because it doesn't look like we expect that it might look. We look at God's love with natural eyes and we suppose that because of all the heartache and the hardship in the world and the people starving and the things going on in our own personal journeys that perhaps God doesn't love, that perhaps he's something else. The last three weeks we've looked at different facets and characteristics of God and, and um, Yui kicked us off with Adam and he sort of unpacked that God's creative, that God's generous, that God's a relational God, that he's a holy God. I loved that. And then the second week, Abraham, we looked at his life and we saw that God showed himself a promise keeper. We, we saw that God showed himself as patient, that God responds to faith, that God is the most powerful. And he is a sacrificial God. And last week when we looked at Moses' life, we saw that God showed himself as a planner. He's, in, he's into planning, he draws the potential out of people and that he works plans over generations, not just in one lifetime. So today I felt like the right story to talk about and the right character to look at was Jesus, God's own son, And how can we learn about who God is through his interactions with Jesus? So the story I want to talk about this morning is this beautiful story. It's not a very big one, but it's the moment in Jesus' life when he was suffering the most, when he was in the most pain, at the most crucial moment. And where was God in the midst of that time? And this story is the Garden of Gethsemane. And it starts, if you want to read along, it's coming up on the screen or you can read from your phone or your Bible. But it's Luke 22, 39 to 46. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed even more earnestly and he sweat Was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. So, this is a story I want to unpack a little bit today about where was God in the midst of this deep anguish of Jesus. So we find Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's right before he's betrayed by Judas, one of his closest friends. And this moment here is the beginning of him taking the cross. 24 hours later, Jesus is dead. So, you know, he's just been with his disciples, having the Last Supper, and he's trying to tell them again that he's about to die. And they're really not getting a grasp of it. So then they leave the supper and they go into the garden and and they're in prayer. However, this time when Jesus goes into the garden and it says it's his usual place where he went to pray, this time when he goes in, he's going in to have an intense conversation with his heavenly Father. And I know some of you have had intense conversations with the heavenly Father. Some of you might be having intense conversations conversations with the Heavenly Father right now. Jesus is going in to the garden. But the Bible says that he's in deep anguish, sweat like drops of blood, falling to the ground. Matthew, who also records this, says, Jesus said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In the book of Mark, which also describes this story at Garden of Gethsemane, it says, it records Jesus said, I am greatly distressed and troubled. And so the question that I want to ask is why? Why? We've seen Jesus in the gospel go through really challenging, hard things before. He's come close to death before. He spent 40 days in the wilderness without food. Close to death. But yet we never saw him so anguished, never saw him so desperately um, tense, stressed, sorrowful, troubled in his soul. We've heard of martyrs who've gone and um, moments before death, they're overcome and overwhelmed with a sense of peace and they take their death like a champion. So why do we find Jesus, our eternal God in human form, So distressed, such anguish and trouble. Why? And I want to say to you that it's all in his prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What cup? What is he talking about? What is the cup that Jesus is asking the Father to take from him? There's key passages in the Bible that connect God's wrath with the imagery of a cup. Jeremiah 25.15 says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. In Isaiah 51.17 it says, O Jerusalem, you have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs of the bowl, the cup of staggering. And Revelation fourteen nine to 10, again, imagery of a cup. It says, if anybody worships the beast and its image and receives a mark, he will also drink of the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength, Into the cup of his anger. So, the cup that we're talking about, the cup that Jesus asks if he would take away from him, is this notion, this idea of God's wrath. It's a cup that has accumulated every sin. As he walked into the garden that night, Jesus found himself in hell rather than heaven distant from God, forsaken by God, as he started to drink from this cup of God's wrath. Jesus in this moment, he had a near view of the flames and of the heat of hell. And he faced that desperately horrifying thing, which is separation from the presence of God. And that is why He was in deep anguish. That is why he was troubled and sorrowful unto death because all sin from humanity beginning to end was thrown down upon Jesus, including your sin. Every atrocious crime, every sexual perversity, every careless word, every dishonouring lie, every violence, every abuse thrown onto Jesus out of the cup of God's wrath in that moment. A tragic story for Jesus. No wonder he says, God, take the cup from me. Would you take the cup from me? But God, not my will, but yours be done. How does God show his love? How does God prove to us that he's love through such a painful story? Why is God making his own son drink the cup of his wrath? Okay, I've got a couple of points for you this morning. This is my first point. Number one, God is completely sacrificial and selfless. This story of the Garden of Gethsemane is love for this reason. We didn't measure up to God's holiness. And God knew that. He knew that we couldn't measure up to his standard of holiness. And the only way to bring humanity back to his heart through relationship was to drink his own cup of wrath. And that is love, that is costly love, that is sacrificial love, that he would drink sin that wasn't his so that he could have relationship with you, with you. The second point is that God is full of forgiveness and this story is love. Because if drinking the cup of wrath didn't stop God's love for you, do you think that your stuff-ups right now will hinder his love ever? It will never. He already drank sin once and for all, forever. I mean, picture this. Picture this. Jesus in agony in the garden starting to drink starting to understand what the God of wrath is like. And he asks his closest friends at the time to stay awake and to pray. Pray for me. Pray for your own soul that you won't end up succumbing to temptation. And his friends, his dearest, closest friends, his greatest level of support are asleep. I mean, he had to make a choice right then and there. Were these feeble, annoying people who are supposed to be my friends, were they going to wear the sin? Were they going to have to wear the sin or would I wear the sin for them? And he made a choice of forgiveness in that moment. Though even my closest friends cannot stay up with me on my night of greatest pain and greatest suffering, I won't let them carry sin. I will carry it on their behalf. The cup, God, he is full of forgiveness. People are betraying him all over the place. Judas. Sells him off. And it says in John 17.3, right in the midst of this hour, Jesus is praying this. He says to God, and this is eternal life, that they, the ones sleeping and everybody else, may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's John's account of the garden. And he's saying, you know, no one's ever loved you like this. No one's ever loved you like this. No one's ever forgiven you like this. In fact, the Bible says as far as east is from the west, so your sins are removed from you because Jesus drank the cup of wrath for you. Point number three today is that God's top priority is relationship. And this is love, no matter the pain. No matter the pain. And this story is love because initially God created Adam and Eve and we heard about that in week one and you can go and grab the podcast and listen to that again. But God was deeply broken when Adam chose to take the fruit from the tree. God deeply broken. He was so deeply broken that he gave a man that he knew he could trust to restore relationship with humanity. And that was his own son, his own son himself in human form. The amazing thing is is that God the Father also gave Jesus a tree and asked him to choose, except this time... The tree was in the form of a cross and we find Jesus in this moment at Gethsemane going through what Abraham, what Adam did. Will you choose to be full of life? Will you choose to do the right thing? Will you choose my will or will you choose your own? And here we find Jesus saying not my will but yours be done. And in doing so, he touches and impacts every tribe and every tongue when he decides to do the will of God in that moment. So God can have relationship with humanity. Again, the cross, it's what it's all about. The cross is about restoring relationship with you, with every single one of you and with every single person out there. The cross that Jesus chose. And he was evidently given a choice, was so that he could have relationship. God could be restored to people once more. I wonder if you know that God wants relationship with you today. I wonder if you know the costly price that was made for you so that you could have relationship with God. And my fourth point is that God is committed to his plans. And we've looked at this time and time again in this series. I just love this continuing theme that God is committed to his plans. And I want to say that this story is love because God had a plan to restore mankind to himself, firstly through Jesus and now through you. Now through you. God is still restoring humanity to himself now through you. Sometimes when we're crying out in our hard moments and we're saying, God, take the cup, or we're never going to have to drink that cup, but God, take this hard situation from me, sometimes God says no, doesn't he? And I think we've all encountered that. He says, not this time. And the reason that he says not this time is because he's committed to his plans, And you are part of a much bigger picture than just your life. No, prayer is not the manipulation of God to bend his will to yours. Prayer is not a magical thing. It's not making a wish. It's not cutting a cake and making a wish upon a star. Prayer is welcoming the good the perfect and the pleasing will of God into your life and giving you the power to say, not my will, but yours be done. That is prayer. You're, much, you're part of a much bigger picture than just, than just you. So when God says no to you, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he's not for you. It's because you are part of a picture to restore humanity back to God. So, you know, even though God said no to Jesus in the garden, actually there's, there's no recollection that he said no. It's just that Jesus said yes. God sent an angel to strengthen him, probably because his friends weren't praying. God sent an angel to prepare him and to minister to him. And just like Jesus went through things that he never deserved, he never earned those hard things, so do we. We go through things that we don't earn, that we don't deserve. But God takes the crushing of our souls and he turns it into something else to enlarge his kingdom. He turns it into something else so that he can restore humanity back to himself and this is what I think he turns it into you know the garden of Gethsemane you know Gethsemane you know what that word means it means oil press Gethsemane was full of olives and that place means that they took the olives and they crushed them and they extracted the pureness out of those olives Biblically, oil represents anointing, Holy Spirit anointing. And I want to propose to you this morning that when we go through hard things, when we are crushed and that pure extract, that extra virgin olive oil comes out of us, God uses it to bring breakthrough. Do you know the Bible says that it is the anointing that breaks the yoke? You know, we can be um, happy and joyful and never go through hard things, never be crushed, but we'll never change lives because it's the anointing that comes from the crushing, the crushing of the olives and our suffering in our hard times. When we go through things that we didn't earn or we don't deserve, the crushing that comes forth brings through a restoration of humanity back to God. The anointing comes forth from us to bring people, souls back into relationship with God. And even though I can't tell you that in the moment it feels very good, I can tell you later on reflection, you can sometimes see God's hand. To wrap up my story, with our baby girl. We called her Florence. <laughs> One night soon after, we'd gone through it all and I was still in a very desperately sad place. I was sitting in a church meeting right up the back, not happy. Um, it's all right to go to church when you're not happy. It's all right to go to church when you're not happy with God. And I was sitting up the very back and there was a guest speaker in town and he had a prophetic gift and from way up the back (laughs) he saw me and he called me out the front and I didn't want to go so I made him come to me (laughs) so he came to me and he said to me because of what you've gone through Christy God's going to use you to pray for other women can't have children who have been barren and broken in that area and you're going to see women's wombs be fruitful and do you know what I took that and I ran with it and the year or two after that actually probably a lot longer than that because when we're in the states three years ago I prayed for two women one of them trying to have a child for eight years and I prayed for her She fell pregnant straight after that. Another, um, one of my dear friends who was actually told that she may never have children, they'd been married for 10 years, trying for almost as long as that, spent time with her, prayed for her. She called me, FaceTimed me. (laughs) With the little pregnancy test indicator saying pregnant. Another woman who I prayed for one night at a women's meeting had, had six miscarriages and she already had one child, but she was trying to have a baby again and had tried and tried and tried and I prayed for her. And then I got a report that she'd fallen pregnant with twins. <laughs> and there are story after story after story because of the crushing, because of the anointing oil that God restores, souls through our hard things that we didn't deserve and that we didn't earn so I just want to end on this scripture and wow I'm so impressed with myself everybody look at the clock that is breakthrough right there come on I got six seconds I am on yeah that's a clap come on miracles miracles in the house Woo! because I never do that I um, don't want to take away from the moment, bring it back, come back to me, crushing, cup of wrath. You want to know who God is? This is the best passage of scripture that I can find that would demonstrate to you who God is. 1 Corinthians 13, one to 8. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, But I do not have love. I gain nothing. But I want you to see this next part in light of the Garden of Gethsemane. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. He never dishonored those sleeping men in the garden that night. It's not self-seeking. Come on, a God who drinks his own wrath is not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Took him a long time to bring Jesus, hoping people would repent and change. He keeps no record of wrong. Hello? Love does not delight in evil but it rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails and that's who God is let's pray